Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Ari Rahimzada. Ari is an accomplished technophile, writer, and author. Having taught side-by-side with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, Ari continues to share a passion for technology, education for children and teens. Welcome, Ari. Hey, thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us kind of how you got into uh, the tech field and how you uh, got to where you are today? Oh, uh, gosh. So back when I was a kid, I was the one that always tried sneaking off to play around with the computers. So this was back in the back in the 80s when Apple had that initiative that got you access to Apple computer, like Apple IIs in the classroom. The, the first thing I ever got to play with was Logo. And I remember it in art class. So this is what... Second grade, maybe. So this is like 1982, 83. Wow, that was a long time ago. I remember they brought Logo up. It was really cool. They said, okay, here's this triangle in the middle of the screen. Make it go do something. And you could say, you know, forward 20, right 90, forward 20, right 90. And if you did that four times, you got a square. And then if you read the like so back then there were there in the magazines there was software you know there's programming in like uh, national geographic world magazine uh, in the back of math books there were programs that you could write you know that you could type into your computer you know byte magazine existed which by the way i have every single issue ever printed a lot of these magazines had programs that you could just type into your computer so i would play around with those at school Getting back to logo, like the coolest part of logo is that 420 right 90 was so simple that you could see it on the screen. When you wrote a command, the computer did what you told it to. And then it would say, okay, yeah, but you could take this one step further. You could say, repeat four times forward 20 right 90. I was like, oh, yeah, because a square is the same command four times. And I was like, oh, well, that's what a great way of explaining a loop to a kid. And then I learned, you could say, well, I'm creating a square. So you could say two square forward 20, right? 90 repeat four forward 20, right? 90. And now I could, I have just built my own command. What a, what a way for a kid to start thinking about procedural programming, you know, or just you know, understanding how things work and, and, and breaking a problem down. So that really, led to my really being interested in computers. And then I, I learned basic because basic was in everything. And I got into uh, high school and they started teaching like Pascal. So I ended up getting like computers, you know, like I got a laser 128. Anybody remember those? And then I stuck a screwdriver in it to blow it so that my dad would buy me an Apple II GS. <laughs> I never told him to this day. Um, but I, was, I kept trying actually like make the machine die so that I could get a better computer because he wouldn't get me one. So I ended up having a work for it. And I saved like $2,000 to buy an Apple IIGS, which was like 2,500 bucks. And he's like, well, you should just buy a Mac. 
And I go, no, because the Apple II was better. Like the Apple II had programming built in. Like you just press control reset and boom, you were at a basic prompt. And you could, you know, type, you know, call one negative 151 and it would bring you into the monitor and you could type 3D0G because Steve's a fan of Three Dog Night. <laughs> what a cool thing built into the monitor on the Apple II that, you know, you, you had a whole just society, like a community of hobbyists. The programming was a lot of fun, but just simply the community was probably the best part of software engineering. Um, solving problems was fun. The f so I started a magazine on disk, quote unquote, and I would upload it to CompuServe or, and Genie. And it was called PowerGS Discazine. And I would interview people who knew all these things and talk. You know, this is all well before podcasts, right? And they would... Um, they would write articles and I would, you know, write articles and I wrote the whole thing myself as, which as a kid was really fun. And that led to my interviewing Steve Wozniak. It was really weird um, because we tried having the interview for like six months and we were like chasing each other. And I finally got on a schedule. I flew all the way out to California to, uh, to meet up with him. And when I get to his office, keep in mind, I'm like 18. I get into Steve's office and he's like, I got to go. And then I'm like, wait, hold on a sec. But then we proceeded to talk for like, you know, a, a couple hours. And I, I left off the cool part is when he, when he agreed to do my inter, the interview, I called into his office. I got an email that said, hey, Steve Wozniak would be happy to do an interview with you. Just call this number. And so I did 408-354-5000. <laughs> and... This guy answers the phone. I'm like, oh, hi. You know, I'm Ari or Himzada with PowerGS Discazine. I was told I could talk with Steve Wozniak. It's like, oh, hi, this is Steve. I was like, oh, cool. You know, and we ended up talking uh, for a while. So anything, anyway, one thing led to another. We had the interview, which was fine. Did the Discazine. Steve calls me up and goes, hey, because we both shared a passion for teaching kids. Like as a, as a high schooler, I thought, well, I was in college at the time, but you know, even in high school, I liked working with kids and helping them learn more about computers. So I would go talk at different schools and, you know, do this sort of thing. So we found, we had the similar passion he goes, you should come out and teach with me. And I was like, Oh, very cool. And not, it wasn't about programming. It was just, you know, teach these kids HTML, you know, JavaScript really wasn't a thing at the time and so forth. And, and sure enough, for an entire summer, all I did was teach kids programming, play pranks and go to concerts. And I was like, okay, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I saw that you were recently giving presentations around .NET MAUI. I thought maybe we could talk about what is .NET MAUI and, and what do we have to look forward to on that front? Yeah. Uh, so on, on the note of all the different programming languages out there and kind of being pigeonholed into something, Microsoft's done a really good job of finally bringing the mess that is Microsoft development uh, into something clean. Like if you, if you look at the background of, of Microsoft development, I mean, just on the UI side of things, what you had WinForms, um, XAML, XAML Standard, Silverlight, you know, um, 
what UWP, you had uh, things built in C, et cetera, it's a whole bunch, right? And then just on the programming side, you had, oh my gosh, like, and I've, I've done this presentation a few times and people give me the list of, of, of the, you know, like the programming languages. So just to go through it, C, Visual Basic, Com, VBA, .NET Compact Framework, .NET, .NET Com with .NET Interop, Mono and Xamarin, PCL, Mono and Xamarin and PCL, .NET and PCL, .NET Core, .NET Standard, .NET Framework plus .NET Standard. You can kind of see it's it's been nuts, right? And it's just, you know, like if, if, if you're used to change, then yay, the Microsoft ecosystem. But I love that they've put the brakes on that and said, wait, this is crazy. And we want .NET to be a first-class framework and platform. How do we do that? Well, we got to stop this madness of having our, our developers switch gears every few years. And we have something else that ends with X. So how do we solve that? Um, and that's where you know, .NET Core, .NET Standard came in. And it's like, hey, you know what? We're going to embrace open source. We're going to embrace the community. The thing that made me feel powerful and accepted and, and willing to contribute and, and grow, you know, my, my friends and my network, they embrace that. So instead of the, the old days, right, it's open Microsoft. And that has borne a lot of fruit because now when you think Microsoft, I mean, at least if you're in that system, you know, you could target pretty much any platform. You know, you can, you can, you don't have to do all your development on Windows. You can do it on your Mac. You can do it in, in Linux. Uh, you know, you could deploy to anything and you don't really have to think about it so much. It's like, oh yeah, it's just .NET. I made the similar comment to Richard Campbell a while ago about .NET Core is, is now mostly on parity with .NET Framework. And, and he said, yes, that's true for web development. Uh, we still don't have a good story for native application development on Mac and, and Linux and that type of thing. So is this, are we looking for a more unified UI UX experience coming to those platforms? Yeah. And that's, that's where .NET MAUI comes in. One, one thing the .NET core and framework, just to add to that, uh, my diatribe about that is like I said, they put the brakes on it and on the development side, you can now stick with .NET Core and .NET Standard and be safe, or at least feel safe. And that covers the, the language side of it. Well, what about the UI side? Because you still have all that other crap, right? You got, you got WinUI, WinForms, you know, XAML Standard, XAML, Silverlight, which even though it's dead, stuff still exists, plus any number of other things that are out there um, that are from Microsoft. So Maui, my understanding is that the goal is to bring that into the .NET platform in a standardized way. So it becomes system.ui.something, and that's Maui. And I'm a Xamarin developer. I've, I've lived with Xamarin, you know, since it costs like a couple grand to get your license. And I, I've gone through Xamarin forums, and I love it. And that team is so crazy dedicated to making a great product. Because for the most part, Xamarin was cross-platform development that really didn't have a lot of trade-offs. I mean, yeah, you, you had to deal with Mono, but that's going away as part of Maui. Microsoft, 
taking you know the whole mono approach seriously and saying, oh, okay, we need to get rid of that. And we're going to call it uh, .NET for iOS and .NET for Android. So finally, a first-class .NET runtime for Android and iOS. Since since Maui is is going to be, I guess, a, a unified uh, UI, are we going to have to? Is 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 stuff going to change? Are we going to have to learn uh, this new platform as opposed to uh, Xamarin Forms or, or HTML or something like that? No. So that's that's a great question. Um, so Maui is based on Xamarin Forms. So if you already know Xamarin Forms, you already kind of, you already have the underpinnings of Maui. If you're already a Xamarin developer, you probably know you're you're not required to build your app in some particular way. You know, if if you're a Xamarin developer, you could use MVVM Cross if you want. You can use Xamarin Forms. You could use Prism. You could use the Reactive extensions. Maui's going to take that to the next level. Um, they're going to more loosely couple the model, so it's not everything is something bindable which is good because that probably has a lot of overhead. I haven't looked at that part of the source, but I imagine that if everything's bindable, you have overhead, you know? Um, and they're going to increase, they're going to uh, introduce a few additional items. So you still could do all that stuff that you're already used to. Just the namespace for the most part is going to change. And you're no longer going to have that like Franken project. You'll have a single project now. There'll be a, Zan, a, a Maui project, a .NET Maui project. And all the stuff that you're going to override, like your Bluetooth implementation, is under a folder Android, iOS, Mac OS, you know, Windows, etc. And all your share code, it's all one project. Um, they also simplified a lot of this so that fonts and images are in a single set of folders. And you don't have to worry about it across each device. Now, keep in mind, this is all crazy canary. So who knows how it's really going to look, right? Because it's not coming out. Yeah, it's It would only be in like alpha or beta form this year. And it wouldn't be, you know, the, the best case is next year, next, next uh, you know, winter. I was surprised at the announcement. It seems like Microsoft has had really good track record with announcing experiments through Blazor and... Project tie and and things like that and and getting feedback from the community and getting support and getting buy in and getting people to actually kick the tires and and see how they like it. But with .NET Maui announcement, it was this will be coming. This is not an experiment. This is coming in in .NET six. So we're still more than a year out from even looking at that. We're going to look at the unification of .NET hopefully this November, correct? And then we can start to see some early releases of .NET MAUI around those times. Yeah, that's the, that's what I'm reading is that around November, around build uh, this, this winter, is, or no, .NET Conf, is it .NET Conf this winter? <laughs> .NET Conf. Um, that's when we're going to, you know, when .NET 5 is released there, you'll see the MAUI bits start coming out. Now, this does bring up, remember I was saying you could have Xamarin Forms, Prism, MVVM, Cross, <laughs> etc. They're introducing a few new things. So like you said, Blazor, Blazor mobile bindings is coming. So if you're a React developer, like a React native developer, think of the power that Xamarin could give you if, or in this case, Maui, you know, it's, we're probably going to go back and forth, you know, calling it Xamarin and Maui. Uh, Xamarin will become Maui, basically. You would get uh, the 
the Blazor mobile bindings, you're going to get uh, mobile view uh, up MVU model view update, which is a really interesting pattern. Uh, we're on a podcast, so I can't show you, but it, it's so fluent in how you build your UI. It's really neat. I, um, if you check out the the slides I had, you know, or even the Blazor stuff, you'll see. But all of this is part of that one Microsoft approach, that one .NET approach, not one Microsoft, one one .NET, um, saying, okay, look, we need people to start taking .NET seriously. .NET is no longer just a a backend solution because you know if if you look at development if you're a .NET developer I think you tend to be relegated to being a backend developer. People think you're going to build a, a an API, you know, you're going to build microservices, you're going to you're going to build backend stuff and that you know what you need to know someone to do the front end. It's going to be a JavaScript team, React, Node, Angular, etc. you know, and it's kind of the way like Java's gone, right? You know, like Java's backend unless you want to write an Android app. But Microsoft's like, wait, we have these great languages and great tooling, be it Visual Studio or VS Code. And, you know, I mean, Visual Studio is like a gold standard IDE, and VS Code is used by practically everyone to build all the other apps that are out there, right? That aren't .NET. So, how do you how do you how do you get past that being the back end? And that's where you're starting to see Blazor. Yeah, you know, we can do front end too. You like all the React Native stuff that you've been or React stuff. We can do that. Make C sharp a first class citizen for the front end. You know, the same thing for scripting. You know, I see all you people are using Python. Why don't you just start using C sharp? And yeah, you know, they were showing examples of that earlier this year at Build of C sharp without all the imports and so forth, and using C sharp like a scripting language. So if the Blazor mobile bindings, which I've seen uh, previews of, they look they look pretty neat. It's there's still a learning curve because you got to learn the the mobile specific parts, like referencing a, a control grid or whatever it is that the mobile has. If that's going to be part of Maui, and Maui is going to enable the same UI language, I guess, uh, for iOS, Android, Linux, Mac, Windows, does that mean that you'll be able to use this? Um, model view update and blazer mobile bindings or mobile blazer bindings uh, for desktop development as well. So here's what I think because they haven't announced anything. So Maui right now looks like it's building mobile applications and they're still going to support WinUI. I guess that's WinUI 3. My guess, at least I think this would be the smart thing to do is for Microsoft to say, okay, system.ui Maui, which means multi-application UI, we're just going to standardize on Maui. No more WinUI. We'll still support WinForms. There'll be you'll download the NuGet package. You'll get WinForms done. You know, I mean that's how we've been doing it, right? I mean, every since NuGet, it kind of changed everything, right. right? You know, not DLL hell everywhere. It was no, yeah. There's a NuGet package. You know, if there's a problem, you update it. I think that's where desktop development's going to go. So to answer your question. Is this going to move from mobile to web and desktop? Then, yeah, I think so. I don't know if it'll, I, I think Blazor is still going to own, if that's going to be their approach for web. I, you know, Blazor, and then, you know, if you want to do backend and go the Angular or React route, we 100% support you. We're not opinionated. 
you know, you're using, use the right technology for what you need to do, go for it. And C Sharp can do a great job. And, you know, just the dot, .NET itself can do a great job empowering your backend. But if you don't want to do that, that's okay too. We got Azure. We'll make money either way. But yeah, that's, I, I think that's where it's going to go. I hope they announce that because that'd be nice to know that there's a future. Like if you already know Xamarin or, you know, you know, UWP, I mean, because if you know XAML, you can basically build any of this stuff. So Blazor, okay, yeah, we're going to go, yeah, okay, we're going to mix HTML with C Sharp. Remember that? That was ASP. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, well, even even um, when Windows 8 came out, they had the um, Windows or WinJS, which was an attempt to get or to enable uh, web page developers to build Windows applications. Now that that never really took off, but that I think is because they were targeting a brand new audience instead of targeting their already core audience. Uh, if you said, okay, you people that have been doing uh, Blazor, you can use that same technology and build your Windows application. I think they'd have better luck getting that to stick, especially if it was you can build your Windows application and your Linux application and your Mac application at the same time using the same code. I think they'd they'd have a much better chance of getting that to stick. So I'm I'm kind of hopeful there. Um, I've never really taken the time to learn Xamarin Forms, and me personally, I would feel much better being able to do Blazor and build that iOS or Android application. And to be fair, the the marketing copy that, that Microsoft provides is not always the best. Uh, they're they're not great about communicating the, the the goals of things. Although, although the uh, the bullet points that they've listed on the GitHub pages for .NET Maui, it's a multi-platform native UI deployed to multiple devices across mobile. It's the evolution of Xamarin Forms targeting .NET six. Uh, the goals are to improve app performance, improve simplicity of control, extensibility, simplicity of contributing, and enable developer options to use Model View Update and Blazor. Those are generic enough and and maybe enticing enough to to give it some some thought and and give it a give it a fair shake to to see what the brave new world looks like. The good thing is, at least the way I see it, if you're already a Xamarin developer, you're you're not losing out. It's 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 a it's a slight shift. If anything, it's better. Again, having practically no access to this yet, I don't know. But keep in mind. If you don't like it, you can change it now. I mean, unlike WinJS, when that stuff came out, that's back in like the Steve Sanofsky days of Microsoft. Um, and I think that's before Satya. You know, Balmer was still there. Um, and Panos Panay was just getting his, his, you know, his, his sea legs. Because I still have the autographed surface touch cover upstairs. So... Now, if you don't like a Microsoft technology, you can change it, which is really different. You, know, you really have no excuse not to fix something if you have a problem with it. And they're regular. I mean, what do you have a new Visual Studio update like every week now? It's like every two weeks. There's some new update, you know, and I've reported bugs. And within a, a few weeks, they fixed it. They fixed it. They said, you're right. That's a bug. We Thanks for catching it. We'll go fix that. And boom, they fix it. And I'm like, what Microsoft is this? Yeah, that's. I, I really enjoy the amount of transparency that they have these days that 
you can raise issues. You can read the issues that have already been communicated to them. You can read about the progress that they're making. They're they're doing community standups and they're doing open architectural discussions to talk about the progress of things and that and and admitting that there are things that we're not going to be able to get to on this point release or this beta release. We we are looking to improve it and and fully mean it. So with that, where where can we go to learn more about .NET Maui and what the future holds for that? Sure thing. So I'm trying I'm I'm trying to think of like the 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 best approach would be I'm I've got a, a list. Hold on. Uh, one, I would go check out the Maui GitHub page. I, I think you could just say github.net Maui. Uh, and then there's a really good presentation on this on Channel 9. Just search for Channel 9 Journey to 1.net. And that was a, a presentation from Build. And it was great. I mean, they were talking, they're talking about their vision for .net. It's not just about Maui. Maui comes at the end. I think it's like an hour and 20 minutes in or something like that. I've got some note about it. Um, yeah, like an hour and 15 minutes into that is the Maui demo. But the first hour, hour and 15 minutes is talking about how did we get from the mess to the to .NET Core, you know, and .NET Standard. And it's, it was fascinating. They're, they're, they're about face on development at Microsoft. It was, it was great. Now, keep in mind two things. One, this isn't out yet. I can't stress enough. You're not going to be building a .NET MAUI app today and shipping it tomorrow. And it's, it's so early in the process. It's best to learn about it and monitor it. If you're already a Xamarin shop or a .NET shop that's looking to go mobile or add a mobile presentation to your, to your solution, then you should be aware of MAUI. But... I'd start with Xamarin Forms. You're not going to be forced to switch to Maui. Xamarin on day one of Maui being available isn't going to disappear. And I think effectively the same teams are working on Maui. So I'm not 100% sure on that because it's so early. You know how things can change at Microsoft. But I think for the most part, the Xamarin team wants to see Maui exist because it will be better it will clean up the rough edges of Xamarin and it'll also make cross-platform development, especially the UI side of things, part of the .NET ecosystem. It's kind of been like an add-on, even though Xamarin really for the most part just works. It's been kind of an add-on you know, because it's mono, right? It's not exactly .NET Core. You know, it's not exactly .NET Standard. It's mono and all these NuGet libraries written by Microsoft yeah, and, and various others that have contributed to the platform greatly, like James Montemagno, yeah. and who now works at Microsoft, right? So if you're, if you're looking again to mobile development, don't be afraid. And you're thinking of Xamarin, don't be afraid of going to Xamarin because it should be a smooth transition to Maui. And I feel that you'll be able to take your time, just like you could take your time to go from .NET Framework to .NET Core. You get clear benefits going to .NET Core, like the, the built-in, you know, GI and IOC. You know, just that by itself, I think, is a great thing. Just built in. It's like, oh yeah, you know, add this, boom, easy to configure. So I think that that's probably the safe route. 
What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their careers? Um, if you're looking at make it as a software engineer, accept that you'll fail F- and fail quickly. Yeah, you know, that's that's something you know Wozniak says. We're in the only career where you're you're expected to fail. Yeah, you know, you're paid to fail because every time you write something, it doesn't exist. You know, someone said, I have a business need, a, a, an analog real world business need. I need you to give me a digital version of it. Or you have some idea of something you want and you have to go make, you have to go make it work. Even if you bring in nougat packages, you still have to piece it all together and build something that didn't exist before. Um, and that's awesome. That's like playing with Legos every single day and not stepping on them. If you, I think if you accept that with humility and accept that you should reach out to your peers when you don't understand something and they'll help you, you'll, you'll do really well as a software engineer. And you should know quickly whether you like it or don't like it. Because I think some people don't like failing. And it's very hard for them to overcome that, especially you know, because you're generally punished for failure. Other things... Um, Find your developer community. Make friends that are developers. And especially friends that are better than you. And you'll grow each other. Because if you find people that are willing to mentor you, you'll find that you'll get better. Faster than you think. Because it'll just be natural that you get better because you feel comfortable failing and getting better at things and then trying the next more difficult level. And you'll find yourself mentoring other people because someone else did that for you. Huge, huge thing. Having a, a, like senior developers or just other developers in, as mentors. I can't speak more highly of that. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, do you have any social media accounts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. Uh, so on Twitter, I'm just Ari, A-U-R-I. Uh, and then I have a YouTube channel. Um, it's got all the presentations and just other stuff I find interesting. And that's a zipped G S Z I P P E D G S George Sam. All right. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was Ari Rahimzada. Ari is an accomplished technophile writer and author having taught side by side with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple. Ari continues to share passion for technology education for children and teens. He is the owner of Ari's Ideas in Fishers, Indiana, and an instructor at 1150 Academy, a non-for-profit technology education boot camp. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at SixFigureDev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash.